You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. This is January 2nd, 2022, and this is episode 154 of Lighthearted, the first episode of the new year. Joining me as co-host today is Jeff Gales, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Hey, Jeff. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Jeremy. So uh, by way of full disclosure here, we're actually recording this on December 23rd, and I hope you're having a nice holiday season out there in the Pacific Northwest. Yep, we got a nice, beautiful, sunny day, and uh, it's always green in the Pacific Northwest. We love that. Well, I don't know about, I remember I was there a couple of years ago, and just after I left, you had a monumental blizzard, so it's it's usually green. <laughs> okay, I'll clarify, it's usually <laughs> green. Well, here on the New Hampshire Seacoast, we have a touch of snow, but I think it's going to be a, mostly a, a green or brown Christmas, but that's okay. Right. Uh, well, and we're so, looking forward to 2022. I it's looking like it's going to be a great year as uh, we plan for the future. Um, we're excited about the the upcoming uh, events and things that are going to be happening at the U.S. Lighthouse Society. So we're excited about 2022. So, Jeff, has anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history? Yes, something interesting did happen at the Gibraltar Lighthouse, uh, Gibraltar Point Lighthouse in Toronto, which was built in 1808 and is the oldest lighthouse on the Great Lakes. On January 2nd, 1815, keeper John Paul Radmuller disappeared mysteriously. Legend has it that he was murdered by two soldiers, and some people say that Radmuller was buried on the property somewhere. His ghost is said to haunt the site. Yeah, I think it's one of Toronto's more uh, well-known ghost stories, as a matter of fact. Uh, some versions of the story, I've read a few different versions, some claim that those two soldiers attacked Rad Bueller because he wouldn't give them any more beer because they were too drunk. Some versions <laughs> say they actually pushed him from the top of the tower to his death. But the details are sketchy, and some historians don't think the murder ever really happened. But it is a very famous legend, and as I said, it's probably Toronto's uh, best-known ghost story. So, Jeff... To change the subject a little bit, I have a question for you. Have you ever been to the Bahamas? I haven't, and I've never killed anybody because they ran out of beer. <laughs> uh, well, scotch maybe? I, I know you like your scotch. No, no, no. No, no, no. I've never killed anybody over alcohol <laughs> at all. But for, uh, no, I've never been to the Bahamas. Days. It's on my bucket list for sure. One of our uh, longtime members uh, and friend of mine, uh, Darlene Chisholm, Darlene, her husband, Tom, uh, led a small group of society members out to the Bahamas a few mm. years ago and had a ha, had a nice time, but uh, we've never actually uh, gone there as a society, and I've never been there personally. You know, it's it's deceiving. The uh, islands of the Bahamas are are vast and in number. It's a very very yeah. large geographic area, so difficult to uh, see everything for sure. Right. Yeah, spending a lot of time on boats, for sure, but I would love to, to get there. Our main topic today is Paradise Island Lighthouse, also known as Hog Island Lighthouse uh, in the Bahamas. We'll be listening to an interview I did recently with Toby Smith, who is developing a beach club 
and he plans to restore the lighthouse as part of that. It's a really interesting project. It's kind of a David and Goliath story because one of the biggest cruise companies in the world is also claiming a lease on the very same uh, beachfront property. Before we get to that, I wanted to mention that we featured the Elbow Reef Lighthouse at Hopetown in the Bahamas on one of the earlier episodes of this podcast. I interviewed Annie Potts of the Elbow Reef Lighthouse Society at that time. Jeff, I think you've had some contact with Annie and uh, her organization over the years. I have. And, you know, uh, it would be interesting. We really need to follow up on see and see what's happening out there at Elbow Reef. Um, yeah. You know, even before all the uh, hurricane damage, they were having trouble. But Elbow Reef is fascinating because they actually are the lighthouse last lighthouse in the world that I'm aware of that still uh, lights the light using a traditional IOV burner, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, whether they're doing that now, I don't know, but uh, it's something we need to follow up on. But a fascinating yeah, lighthouse. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the only lighthouse in the world that still has its, uh, as you said, a kerosene lamp uh, in use and also its old rotation uh, mechanism mm -hmm. has to be ha hand wound by a resident keeper. Uh, right. I know the keeper's, yeah. house was, keeper's house was badly damaged in the hurricane a couple of years ago, and uh, I think the I think the keeper is living back on site now. But I, I could be wrong about that. But you're right; we do need to follow up on what the latest yeah. is there. Well, also as uh, as with the United States, uh, which is common, you know, keeper keepers' wives, keepers' kids took over lighthouse responsibilities when the keepers pass. And this, that holds true at Elbow Reef. Uh, it's been a family of keepers for many years out there. Mm, yeah. I've actually wanted to uh, to interview the, the present keeper. I think he'd be a great interview for the podcast. Absolutely. But, but today we're going to be focusing on a different lighthouse there, the oldest lighthouse in the Bahamas. So Jeff, if you could please help me tell our listeners about Paradise Island Lighthouse. Sure. Paradise Island in the Bahamas was formerly known as Hog Island. The island, with an area of about 685 acres, is located just offshore from the city of Nassau. The island was bought by the A&P supermarket heir, Huntington Hartford, in 1959, and the name was changed from Hog Island to Paradise Island. It's heavily developed and uh, is best known today for the Atlantis Paradise Island Resort. A lighthouse was built on Hog Island in 1817. The 68-foot-tall white brick tower with a red lantern stands at the island's western tip. Uh, it was the first lighthouse constructed in the Bahamas. It was built prior to the formation of the Imperial Lighthouse Service, the agency that was responsible for the navigational aids in the colonies of the British Empire. All the other 11 lighthouses in the Bahamas were built by the Imperial Lighthouse Service. And today it's usually referred to as Paradise Island Lighthouse or the Nassau Harbor Lighthouse, and it's considered the oldest standing lighthouse in the West Indies. It's been abandoned, unfortunately, since the 1980s and has fallen into disrepair. Right. And uh, after eight years of waiting, the Paradise Island Lighthouse and Beach Company was offered and accepted a lease of Crown Land in 2020. The lease includes five acres and two parcels, two acres around the lighthouse and three acres on the beach. Toby Smith of the Paradise Island Lighthouse and Beach Company aims to restore the lighthouse and to create a sustainable, low-impact beach club on the site and to make the site accessible to all. 
Yes, and Royal Caribbean Cruise Line is also claiming the same land. Uh, the plans for a large beach club are in the are in the works. An organization called Save the Bays objects to Royal Caribbean Cruise Line's large-scale plan because of the damage they believe it would cause to the fragile environment out there. And uh, several organizations, including the Protect Our Islands Fund, Re-Earth, the Bahamas National Trust, and the Elbow Reef Lighthouse Society, have expressed support for Toby Smith and the Paradise Island Lighthouse and Beach Club. I recently had a chance to speak with Toby Smith via Zoom, so let's listen to that now. I'm speaking this afternoon with Toby Smith in the Bahamas, where I understand it's a lot warmer than it is here in New Hampshire. There's no surprise uh, since it's the middle of November. Uh, Toby has a really interesting project in the works, which involves the Paradise Island Lighthouse. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes here. Thanks so much for joining me today, Toby. Well, thank you very much for having me today, Jeremy. I appreciate it. And yes, it is in, indeed warm in the Bahamas. I bring you uh, greetings from the warm country. Well, thank you. Send, send some of that uh, warmth up this way, please. I need it Roger <laughs> badly <that>. right now. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, before we uh, get into specifics, uh, I'd like to know a little bit about a little bit more about your background. If you could tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to start this uh, Paradise Island Lighthouse and Beach Company. I'm a born Bahamian. I was born in the Bahamas and grew up most of my life here, um, some of it in England, a year of it in Houston. Uh, and I decided to drop out of school at 19 and come back to the Bahamas to make my fortune. So I've been through a number of professions. And my profession now is as an entrepreneur that I'm trying to develop this Paradise Island Lighthouse and Beach Club project. Uh, I was in financial services for 15 years. I was a mechanic. I was a captain. And it's been my, my, my dream to become the lighthouse keeper of Paradise Island Lighthouse. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Lighthouse keeper at Paradise Island. I don't know if you can get any... <laughs> Any better than that. I know it's a fairly complicated situation. There's actually some some news you told me about a few minutes ago related to, to all this, and we'll get into that. But first of all, I understand you have an agreement with the Bahamian government uh, to develop a beach club on Colonial Beach, which is near the western end of Paradise Island in the area that includes the lighthouse. Can you tell me a little bit more about the agreement you made with the government? Yeah, that's right. So on the western end of Paradise Island, it was formerly known as Hog Island. And as you come into Nassau Harbor, just on the north side of the harbor is, is Paradise Island. And on the on the western tip is what was Hog Island Light is now Paradise Island Lighthouse, as it's commonly referred to name. I realized that it was situated on Crown Land. So on the very western tip, you have the lighthouse and then further along, there is uh, about 17 acres in total of Bahamian crown land. So that is land that was in, uh, vested by the Queen of England as head of our Commonwealth with the fiduciary responsibility of the Bahamian government to protect and either not use it or use it for the best purpose for the benefit of as many Bahamians as possible. Mm -hmm. So back in 2012, I applied to the government of the Bahamas for said crown land and that 
went on where I was applying and follow up, following up with my application um, to crystallize in a crown land lease agreement between my company and the government and the, of the Bahamas. So I received a crown land lease after eight years of waiting on the 7th of January, 2020. And I was instructed as per the cover letter to sign, seal, witness, accept all terms, or I accepted all terms and delivered it back to them on the 9th of January, 2020. And what is your vision for a beach club uh, at that site? The reason I, I, I wanted some beach areas to create a beach club and the revenues from the beach club partially will be used towards the restoration of the lighthouse. So this whole business model, I don't believe that the lighthouse will have enough space as capacity to generate the millions of dollars that's going to be needed to restore it. Mm-hmm. So the, the application was made at the same time for three acres on the beach to develop a beach club where you can come over and have a burger and a beer and experience the Bahamian sunshine and go for a dip in our lovely ocean. Hmm. So that all combined together is, is five acres, two acres of crown land around the lighthouse, three acres on the beach. And the main objective is to have the lighthouse restored back to its 1817 glory and be able to have a Bahamian owned and operated cultural historical site where Bahamians and our guests can enjoy it together. And meanwhile, uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line or Caribbean, how do you, do you say Caribbean or Caribbean? By the I way? say Caribbean, but to each their own. <laughs> yeah, I actually usually do say Caribbean, but yeah. you're Caribbean a lot too. But anyway, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line has been uh, acquiring land or working to acquire land on the island, on Paradise Island, and they're planning to build a very large beach club there. Uh, aside from the fact that you were actually promised the land before they came into the picture, what to you is objectionable about what uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line is planning to do? Well, my, my primary objection is that the past administration of government um, has also a year and a half after they offered me a lease for the property, also then offered three acres of the same land, which is my you know complete area of my beach club. Right. They offered it to Royal Caribbean in the form of a crown land lease. A year and a half after, I'd already accepted the government's offer. So it's really the previous administration of government that really put uh, or pitted, I should say, my project against uh, Royal Caribbean's project. And I think that what the gentlemanly, honorable thing for Royal Caribbean would be to do is to understand that, okay, it's already been spoken for for a Bahamian, and we have to respect that. And we also have to respect the laws and the Supreme Court of the Bahamas, given that a writ has been filed, to discontinue negotiations with the government for any land that's in litigation. But Royal Caribbean uh, are clearly acting as royalty, um, and they believe that if they stamp their feet uh, hard enough, that we will then have to bow down to them as Bahamians and give them what they want. And what is the the latest news that you were just telling me about today? The latest news on the on the front page of the business section of the Tribune newspaper is, is that they've received information that Royal Caribbean's lease 
is for a duration of at least 150 years. So just to put that into perspective, the, the Bahamas has been independent from England for less than 50 years. And the previous administration is already selling us down the river by many generations to a foreign corporation that has already exploited the Bahamas for the past 50 years. And Bahamians really have nothing to show for it. So the difference between what Royal Caribbean are trying to do is that they're trying to seize land that's already within my lease, that's crown land. And they're also trying to get planning permission, building zone uh, approval to change the land that they've bought, which is private residential land, to commercial land. And then it, was, it seems as though it was an afterthought that they said, well, if there's crown land there, let's try and snatch that up too. So it would seem that the government uh, favors foreign investors over Bahamian projects, would you say? It, it, it would seem that way, yes. And, you know, the plot thickens. And, and while the Bahamas was actually officially declared a pirate's republic in the early 1700s, it seems as though it's, it's not only left its mark, but also left its method. So you see, you see movies of, you know, pirates of the Caribbean. And now we're, uh, now we're having to be faced with uh, what's the next league, which is apparently Royal Pir Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. Right. Oh, that's the a, sequel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so just, uh, I was just thinking of something, just to clarify something for me, where is Royal Caribbean Cruise Line based? Uh, that's an interesting question because it depends on how you ask that question for their own, um, I guess, liability and tax efficiency. Right. right. So, um, you know, these billion dollar corporations that hire you know, multimillion dollar lawyers, to see how they can get away from having to have a, a multi-billion dollar tax liability. So um, they're certainly not headquartered in the Bahamas, although some of their ships uh, use the Bahamas uh, registry for their flag. But I understand that they had to scrap construction of Royal Caribbean's headquarters in, in, in Miami uh, mm -hmm. due to cash flow issues. So if Royal Caribbean Cruise Line established, that's a big if, uh, I think, but yeah. if they were to establish their resort there, who would use it? Uh, is their idea that it would mostly be for their own cruise passengers? Yeah, they've publicly actually stated that, that uh, it, will, it will be exclusively for their royal passengers. And they've also gone beyond that in stating that Bahamians will not be able to use the resort while their royal ships are in port. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I don't know why they would want to segregate Bahamians. Um, I mean, we've had enough segregation in the world rather than more cohesive togetherness. And while Royal Caribbean wishes to promote segregation of Bahamians, I don't know what their motivation um, behind it is. And they're saying that when their ships are not in port, then they will, they will uh, give Bahamians a special rate. Huh. So they're, they're, they've got a big carrot on the stick that they think the Bahamians are going to bite onto, where the government has sold Bahamians out in promising Royal Caribbean a crown land lease for at least 150 years, where Royal Caribbean can decide when Bahamians can go over there 
and Bahamians are going to have to pay to use our own Crown Land Beach. Royal Caribbean Cruise Line and other cruise lines have certainly developed other destinations, resorts, and so forth in the Bahamas. Right. Has the money from those developments uh, helped the economy of the Bahamas? Uh, I'd say no uh, to hardly anything. So in, in technical terms, the measure of revenues that are generated in the Bahamas that are then immediately exported out of the Bahamas, such as cruise revenue, revenue generated from cruise passengers, the cruise lines exports between 80 and 85% of the revenues, which is, is, is termed as being what's called leakage. So it's not really within the cruise line's best interest to be in the world bragging of how much they generate in the Bahamas and actually export out, but it is known to be um, between 80 and 85%. So the cruise lines aren't motivated to share that data. The government have not, I understand, done a leakage um, audit since 2006, I think it was. So nobody that needs to know the real picture really has the real picture. But no, it doesn't help the, the, the Bahamas in general. I mean, we might get jobs cleaning toilets on these private islands. We might get jobs doing landscape maintenance. But Royal Caribbean recently wished to brag that they're moving away from 60%. Um, well, they're increasing. So it's only 60% of the Bahamians on, on what was called Coco Key or what is called Coco Key by Royal Caribbean is Bahamian workers. They bring the workers off of the ship mm. to serve people food, to do bartending, and Bahamians have to stand by cleaning toilets and watch all these foreign workers come off the ship and assist Royal Caribbean maximizing their profits. Are there any other reasons you feel your plan for that site is better than what Royal Caribbean Cruise Line intends to Oh, do? absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, basically they want to, you know, pave paradise and put in a deck chair or a swimming pool and whatnot right in front of the ocean. They want to put in uh, big docks, which is going to alter the flow of current of water, both on the north side where the beach hydraulics are, uh, you know, such a dynamic, but that's why we have a beach. We don't need them messing with it. but why is mine better than theirs? It's because they're looking at putting 3,500 people there, which undoubtedly they'll then lift that capacity to be even greater. And that puts a strain on the environment of where does all that garbage that's generated, all that sewage that's produced and, and needs to be treated, um, where does it all go? Whereas my project is a sustainable project. We're looking at working in harmony with nature. It's going to be 100% owned and operated by Bahamians. The revenue generated is going to stay in the Bahamas. You know, there's, there's many things in there where at the end of it, we're going to get not only this lighthouse restored back to its former glory, but then we want to be able to employ that success of business model um, into the other 11 lighthouses in the Bahamas so that we can attract more lighthouse tourism and you know, generate a, a greater sense of pride for our historical monuments. And following up on what you just said, I understand you have the backing of some uh, citizens groups and environmental groups also. 
Right. So uh, the Bahamas National Trust has kindly provided me with written support. The Pilot Boat Association of New Providence, which is the you know the pilot boats that shuttle these cruise ships and 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 uh, freight boats in and out, they've given me written support. Uh, Re-Earth is an environmental group. They've given me written support as well as Save the Bays, um, Protect Our Islands funds. The major resorts here are standing beside me. Um, the press has been very receptive to making sure that there's you know balanced and prominent coverage of of what's going on as this story uh, develops. So I'm receiving yeah a, a, a lot of support is is coming behind this, and I'm proud of that support. Is there room uh, for both your beach club and the large, larger club that uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines wants to develop? Is there room for both? Yeah, I mean, physically, there's room for both, but it just depends on the level of greed of Royal Caribbean. So they bought approximately 13 and a half acres that borders the crown land, the zone for private residential area. Mm-hmm. If they can get the zoning of the private residential to commercial, then, I mean, that's to me where their concentration should be. And in front of that private residential area, they have approximately 1,100 linear feet of beach. So they can put their guests on that. Now, they are completely running over my beach parcel, which is three acres, because allegedly it's contained within the seven-acre agreement that they made with government a year and a half after mine. Mm-hmm. So can we coexist? If if the Bahamian government is supported by the Bahamian people, that that's what the Bahamian people want, that RCL have to downsize their uh, plans and stop encroaching on my land so that I can succeed, then that would be for the, you know, the favor of the Bahamian people. I think that RCL in making a land grab attempt at running roughshod over my development doesn't make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside, and it's a threat to the development of the Bahamas. So I think that RCL need to back down from their provocative and contentious moves. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to be looking at them continuing wishing to negotiate with the government something that's in litigation. And if it's deemed by the court that my or when it's deemed by the court, hopefully, that my lease is valid, then I'll have a three-acre beach parcel and and RCL are going to be forced to have to reconsider and and redesign their operation. So I've drawn the line in the sand, and rather than being contentious and and trying to run roughshod, I'd much rather have a, a harmonious relationship with my potential neighbor. Makes sense. So this is a podcast that's uh, supposed to be about lighthouses. <laughs> so <laughs> probably we have, we've we've touched on the lighthouse, but we haven't talked a lot about it yet. And uh, I want to hear about your your plans for the lighthouse specifically. But before we get into that, um, you mentioned that it was built in 1817. It's over 200 years old, which is right quite old. And I understand it's it it was built uh, before the uh, the the branch of uh, Trinity House in England that that uh, maintained colonial lights, right? It actually came before that. Do I have that right? That's right. Yes. So, but b- before the Imperial Lighthouse Service was servicing the Bahamas, Hog Island Lighthouse 
cornerstone was laid in 1816. Construction was completed in 1817. And the next lighthouse that was built did fall under the Imperial Lighthouse Service. And that was, I believe, Hole in the Wall Abaco Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So if I may, uh, the, 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 the history of lighthouses in the Bahamas is phenomenal. And obviously, we cover a vast um, area of, of, of ocean. And it's right in the middle of, of key channels, the old Bahama Channel to the south of us that runs north of Cuba to go into the Gulf Stream and whatnot and into the Gulf of Mexico. And then, you know, to cut down on sailing, to come through the Bahamas to get to Florida and the East Coast. So the Bahamas has gone through sort of wreck and ruin, right? So we've got being battered by hurricanes, but then we've had the fortune of the spills of piracy. And then, you know, rum running and prohibition came around and whatnot. So we've gone from rags to riches a few times. But what was happening back in those days were, was a, a, a popular industry was was actually wrecking. So as ships wrecked on our shores, reefs, shoals, islands, then whoever could be the fastest fastest person out there to get to the wreck would would save lives, but get the spoils of the cargo. That then led to who has the fastest the fastest boat to get to the wrecks, and that's how regattas in the in the Bahamas gained such popularity because they had fast boats to race against each other. Hmm. So. Because the the merchant navy, mainly out of England, were losing so many ships, they really wanted, uh, and and the wreckers taking the spoils, they really wanted to improve the lighthouse uh, network in the Bahamas to assist with navigation. There's a a lighthouse in the Bahamas that I believe is the only uh, only lighthouse still operating with kerosene as its fuel and has a resident keeper. That would be uh, Elbow Reef Lighthouse. That's exactly right, which is an Abaco. And they, they actually got you know smashed almost two, uh, just over two years ago by yes. Hurricane Glory. So, yeah. So uh, the Elbow Reef Lighthouse, or also known as the, the Hopetown Lighthouse, has, a, has an amazing history. And it was, uh, it, or it is the only kerosene-fired, hand-wound right. lighthouse left off operational in the world yeah however the san salvador lighthouse in the bahamas has ma- been made it for with an electric bulb but the apparatus for the hand-wound kerosene fed light is still there so the bahamas potentially could have the last two hand-wound kerosene fired lighthouses left in the world and unfortunately right. uh san salvador is 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 i mean it's run by the government uh, and that's where we're at. It's become electrified. I interviewed uh, Annie Potts, who's involved with the uh, the Elbow Reef Lighthouse Society, interviewed her for the podcast not long after that hurricane. Right. And uh, haven't heard anything lately. I hope they're mostly recovered from that. Well, recovery is a big word. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. The, the keeper, uh, Mr. Forbes, is, is yes. actually back at the lighthouse, and he oh, now good. does have a roof on his place, which is great. They're concentrating now on the, or they they're building out the dock, I believe, and they're uh, building back the outbuildings. Uh, and they just announced last week that they have an office in town. Mm-hmm. So that that is Annie Potts is an absolute gem. She's a wealth of knowledge. She's traveled extensively. She's written uh, 
Last Lights, the hand-wound yep. lighthouses of the Bahama Islands. Yes, yes. Um, and that whole team that is mainly volunteers that are keeping the light shining at Elbow Reef is absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was super impressed by everything I, I found out about them. I'm glad to hear uh, Mr. Forbes, the keeper, is back at the, the lighthouse there. That's good news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So back to the Paradise Island, uh, what was previously known as the Hog Island Lighthouse. Uh, there is no keeper's house there. Was there a keeper's house at one time? There is a shell of a keeper's or a keeper's quarters there now. Okay. There were it was it was more extensive where there are actually two buildings. One of those buildings have since gone. There is that the, you know the, the the quarry pit there over there still where they uh, they quarried out the limestone and, and hand sawed blocks that they used to build the tower of the lighthouse and also the keeper's quarters and some water systems. So the keeper's quarters walls are still up. Um, our plan is to completely restore it, um, hopefully using also you know traditional methods and, and materials. To tie in Abaco into that, we want to use pine trees that were um, blown over due to Hurricane Dorian or salt water intrusion just killed out you know thousands of acres of pine trees um, to use felled pine for um, for our restoration efforts. So sort of the rafters, the roofing material paneling etc i think that would bring some some dignity and respect to to remember those that we lost in uh, in hurricane dorian and what will be what will the restored uh, keeper's house be used for uh so to take it back to how it was in 1817 we want to we want to have it back so that um, people can see it as sort of like a museum piece and and do tours through it etc and then we're going to mirror that same building um, and make it look exactly like the original keeper's quarters and build a second building next to it, which will have a mechanical room and also have a, you know, a small office in there, but then a kitchen and a bar. So um, people can pull up to the dock and sit in the tavern and walk around and have a, uh, a tour going on in, in a, uh, from their phone app and, uh, and be able to go up inside the lighthouse and see the view and have an explanation of the forts and other buildings that you can see from the top of the lighthouse. Wow, sounds good to me. So the lighthouse is not uh, an aid to navigation currently, right? Yeah, it, it's it, it's got a very dim uh, twelve volt um, bulb that is a harbor marker that flashes white flash every five seconds, but it's it's about um, I don't know. I mean, a candle might put out more candle watt power than a than the light bulb that's up there now, unfortunately. But are there plans? Do you plan to restore it to being uh, more of a, uh, let's say, a, a real aid to navigation? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the plan, Jeremy. It would be to put in a proper naval brass um, Fresnel lens uh, operation where it's actually a gentleman in South Florida that takes pride in doing these restorations dan spinella dan spinella yeah i've i've touched base with him i found him on the internet and i'm itching to go to get something actually so i mean just the light alone when we when we spoke and sort of compared notes just to just to give you some indication that's about eighty five thousand dollars stateside for a for an authentic lamp 
well he does phenomenal work and i would love yeah. to see uh see what he would do for that for that yeah. house. well that that's the plan is to have it fully restored use authentic materials and have it you know people with authentic uh period costumes of that time wow not to dwell on royal caribbean cruise lines ideas about this place but what have they said about the lighthouse do they have any plans for the lighthouse well, originally their lawyer said that they'd applied for all of the western end of Paradise Island. So that would have included the lighthouse. But I think you know, several reasons. One, because it's going to involve a lot of money that's going to be an added expense for Royal Caribbean. But I think maybe they've pulled back from their interest in the lighthouse. And, and truly, I think that's sort of like capturing the castle for Bahamians. You know, we don't we don't have formal castles. But when you have these feuding clans, I mean, they, you know, invade your territory and then take a you know your highest position i think proverbially that that's that's sort of what they were trying to do but they've eased up off of that idea but i think that it's very achievable i don't think it's an unreasonable objective to have it perform not only as a navigational aid but the seven million tourists that came into our harbor in 2019 in cruise ships they are seeing a very dilapidated, sad state of affairs for our oldest lighthouse in the, I wouldn't say Caribbean because the Bahamas isn't in the Caribbean, but certainly the West Indies. Well, I know uh, lighthouse will become uh, even more of a destination for lighthouse buffs too, I would say, when this happens. I certainly hope so. And, and you know, the other thing is that, you know, historical tourism is a, is a growing market. You know, people that are looking to get back to nature is a growing market. I, I'm not looking at, you know, having 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people all, you know, shuttling around the island. I want to have nature trails. I'd like it to be idyllic and quiet and have good native bushes, a, a shade coverage and just a, a beautiful spot that really doesn't need uh, to be paved and put in water slides and swimming pools and, you know, 50 boat trips going back and forth the harbor every day. Why does this lighthouse need to be preserved? And part two of that, what, what does it mean to the Bahamas? What, do, what does that lighthouse represent? Wow, that's a really big question, the second part of that. So why do I feel the Bahamas should be, the, the lighthouse should be preserved? Because it's part of our culture, it's part of our history, it's old. A lot of our pre-independence that occurred in 1973, a lot of our pre-independence history really isn't well-maintained or, or, or taught. And it's up to us as we age to make sure that we protect our heritage for future generations. Is it, uh, is it not? I mean, we have a responsibility to future generations. So it's the preservation of our history, of our culture. We're a seafaring na nation and we need, you know, relics and, and representations of us being a seafaring nation. I would like to become the, the lighthouse keeper. And, and there's many families that have been connected to lighthouse keepers, either through the Imperial Lighthouse Service in serving on the lighthouse maintenance ship or in actually being lighthouse keepers in these far away remote places where the stories are just phenomenal. When you sit down and, oh, my grandfather was a lighthouse keeper in the Niagara and we used to go down there every summer and to keep all of that history alive where there's so many connections to the 12 lighthouses in the Bahamas. If you could recap, what is the current status of the battle over that land? Uh, and uh, where does it stand now? And, and what do you think is likely to happen next? 
the current status is that I filed a writ with the Supreme Court of the Bahamas on the 18th of May, 2020. And we've been through the case management hearing. And then I have to wait for the uh, for March of 2022 for the actual court case hearing to commence. And hopefully it will just be a two-day trial where at the end of it, the justice rules in favor that my lease is valid and that I can continue on without fear of interruption or objection. Well, March is not that far away. And, uh... It's not. Meanwhile, though, I mean, Royal Caribbean are sailing in on their ship and they're trying to woo the government and impress them with their brand new Odyssey of the Seas and private jets and shiny beads. So we just got to see if Royal Caribbean want to throw bait out and see if the politicians um, snap it up. Or I believe it's a New Day government that's in place now and they're not looking to sell out Bahamians. The Progressive Liberal Party, who are in power now, are more nationalistic, whereas the Free National Movement, who are the past administration, I think were rather desperate and, uh, and happy to sell us out for, um, for a couple of pieces of silver. You asked me the question, the second part of the question, what does it mean to the Bahamas? What, what, what does this, this lighthouse and, and other houses, lighthouses mean? It's really a special place out there, Jeremy. It's, it's a magical place. To me, it's, it's a, there's almost a, well, there is a spiritual connection. The energy out there is, is unique. I've experienced the feeling of that, that same sort of mystical feeling in, uh, in Machu Picchu in Peru, which you know, the Incas obviously picked that for, for a reason. But what does it mean to the Bahamas? I think the lighthouses are a, a really good representation of hope. And, you know, being out on a rough sea in the dead of night on a stormy, uh, on a stormy night in seeing the reassurance of, of your dead reckoning by seeing a lighthouse confirming your position out there and that, you know, life is still continuing on. That's the bigger meaning to me of what lighthouses represent. And, you know, it's used, the Hopetown Lighthouses, the, the, the image is used in our advertising, it's used on our money, it's used in many instances. But, you know, what do the, how do the lighthouses benefit from that exposure? And I want to bring benefit to our lighthouses and hopefully be able to form, you know, a maintenance fund so that we can continue to, to have lighthouses in the Bahamas. That sums up your uh, objectives and philosophy pretty pretty nicely, I think. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah, you you have a petition that I saw online, a petition that people can sign to show their support of your efforts. Can you tell yeah. me about that? And in general, how can people learn more about your project? Oh, lovely. Okay, well, I appreciate the opportunity, Jeremy. So, yes, there is a petition out there. It's got about approximately 2,600 signatures. It's by change.org, and it is Save Paradise Island Lighthouse. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which is Paradise Hog Island Lighthouse and Beach Club. And all of the information is on our website. There is a section there for media. So the latest stories that come out are updated in there. It has our mission statement. So all of the details, my phone number is on there. And, you know, we, we really appreciate um, the United States Lighthouse Society and, and, and you especially in taking interest in our, in our project and in our Bahamian lighthouses. 
And I'd really like to demonstrate to the, to the world that there are very enthusiastic Bahamians that support this project. And uh, you know, across the globe, I've, I've been receiving support, not just from Bahamians, but the general public out there. So I really appreciate the support. It's very encouraging. Um, sometimes it does feel as though it's just me fighting this battle and it's a David versus Goliath scenario. And uh, I'm comforted that uh, we all know what happened with David and Goliath story. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we, we know how that ended. So that, right. that, that bodes well. Uh, yeah. Just to clarify, you mentioned the, uh, the, your website. And uh, I think the, uh, the address or URL is actually paradiseislandlighthouse.com. ParadiseIslandLighthouse.com, yes. Or Jeez. Google Toby Smith Bahamas, um, and yep. there's lots of news stories in there, yes. and the Lighthouse um, webpage itself. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and um, yeah, I, I just, I just really support all. I really appreciate all the support we've been uh, receiving. Well, oh, and I might add, if if anybody, if any of your listeners feel so compelled to say, like, you know, who can we write to? Um, the Prime Minister of the Bahamas email is Prime Minister at Bahamas.gov.bs. So Prime Minister at Bahamas.golfoscarviolet.bravo Sierra. Some people might uh, have other ideas about what the BS part of it is, but I probably shouldn't get into well, that. Well, you know, Bahamian, it, it, it's rather ironic that all of the government domain is uh is dot gov dot bs so <laughs> uh I'll let everyone make their own conclusion on that one but i've been i'm in my 10th year and this is all associated with the with the previous government so i'm just i'm hoping and i've got good faith in this new government yeah that uh that you know it was led by philip brave davis as prime minister and he is the minister of crown lands he's got the fiduciary responsibility from the queen and i believe that his his best interest is, is Bahamians at heart. Mm -hmm. I have one final question for you. And this one's for bonus points. All right. Right. Okay. Okay. And the question is, why is this project so important to you? Gee, that's a big question. Why is it so important to me? It, it, it became sort of a romantic, uh, you know, wouldn't it be cool to, to be a lighthouse keeper? And it's really evolved into, you know, I can't apply for the job because it's not existing. So I've got to create the opportunity. I've got to go through leaps and bounds to try and pull off getting, you know, the land through the crown land and then came along uh, Royal Caribbean. So why is it so important to me? I, I, I've raised my kid all these years. I mean, she's 19 now to never give up, keep trying. So mm -hmm. I'm not about to give up. And you know, I get a call probably every day from from somebody saying, boy, Toby, don't you give up. You hang in there and you don't let people shove you around. And we admire what you're doing and we admire your tenacity. And so why is it so important to me? Because I've I've made it my mission to get it done. Uh, I've taken on lots of projects in the Bahamas and, you know, helping out in other parts of the world that that um, I'm not I'm I enjoy a challenge, I suppose. <laughs> You know, what happened is that uh, you wrote to the U.S. Lighthouse Society and the email was forwarded to me and I was hooked right away. I started reading the articles about it and everything. And it's uh, it's pretty obvious. I also watched uh, an interview with you on YouTube. And uh, if anybody 
reads, starts reading those stories or uh, hears this interview, I think, too, uh, they're all going to they're going to know you're a force to be reckoned with. And uh, I know you're not going to back down. And I, I really believe you're going to succeed. So it's uh, it's a great story. And I, I honestly uh, look forward to the, the positive uh, outcome. And I look forward to going there someday. <laughs> well, you're definitely invited. Yeah. And all of your listeners and followers are definitely invited also. I mean, we're not officially open. Um, we actually had a guy heard about my story, contacted me, kept it a secret that he wanted to propose to his to his girlfriend out mm -hmm. there. Came in a couple of weeks ago. We had our first engagement. <laughs> so, oh wow! Uh, he, he, they went there as boyfriend and girlfriend and, and left as fiancés, and they said it was the best. Uh, so yeah, we took them out there, me and my dogs, and anyone that's listening. I'm I'm very accessible. I'm very honest and open and transparent. And I really, um, I think that doing things the right way rather than cutting corners or, you know, paying off bribes or, you know, whatever else comes your way. I think that always taking the moral high ground, I, I, I learned from a very um, contentious divorce that, yeah, always take the moral high ground. So I've, I've taken that all the way along it. And it's really a test. It's a testament of my patience being uh, almost 10 years in. Well, I like the way you think about all this. Thank you. Thank you. It's very flattering. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you so much, Toby Smith, for spending this time with me today. I look forward to checking back with you and seeing what's happening. I'm certainly going to follow this closely. And uh, once the uh, positive outcome of the, the court case is, uh, is behind you, maybe we can talk again for the podcast. Absolutely. Have a, uh, have a little snifter of rum together, perhaps. So I appreciate you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I admire what you're doing and what the U.S. Lighthouse Society is doing. And uh, I appreciate your listeners having the patience and the interest to listen in. Thank you. You can read more about the Paradise Island Lighthouse at Beach Club online at paradiseislandlighthouse.com. And there's a quote from the website, quote, once complete, the lighthouse will be a shining example of Bahamians coming together to create something magical, end quote. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to listen to Toby tell his story and to not root for him to accomplish his goals. Hopefully the legal system and the government of the Bahamas will do the right thing and he'll be able to move forward in the development of the beach club and the restoration of the lighthouse. I also want to add that people can learn more about the tours and everything else the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers by checking out uslhs.org. If you listen to this podcast on a platform that allows you to post reviews, please rate and review us. To everyone out there who works to save lighthouses or any historic structures, thank you for what you do. We're all on the same team. Thank you so much for co-hosting again today, Jeff. And to everyone, as always, thanks for listening and... Keep a good light. All in my house, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.